listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. All right, let's start with some breaking news. Major shakeup for the Husker football staff. Mark Banker out as defensive coordinator at Nebraska. Mike Riley announcing this just in the past half hour. Banker will not have his contract renewed. The Blackshirts finished 20th in total defense this season, 31st in scoring defense. In a statement released, Riley thanks his longtime friend and colleague, says Nebraska will con conduct a national search to find a great coach teacher and recruiter as the Huskers continue their pursuit of championships. And that's how we set the stage here for this week's edition of the Husker online shell bomb uh, shell breaking news out of Lincoln as Mike Riley um, announced basically the firing of Mark Banker. His contract was not renewed, which is more or less a nice way to say he's been fired. And then you know Brian Stewart has decided to move on to Rice, and he'll be taking a job for less money to be the defensive coordinator. But you can read into that any way you want. I mean, it look. I think the writing was on the wall there that he really wasn't a part of the big picture going forward. So you look at this move as Robin Washington and Nate Klaus um, are, are with me. Um, since Mike Riley's been hired at Nebraska, last year he fired defensive line coach Hank Hughes. Uh, he fired Bruce Reed immediately after the bowl game, and then he fires his good friend, or before the bowl game, I'm sorry. Then he fires Mark Banker after the bowl game, and then Brian Stewart um, takes a job at Rice for, for less pay. Um, and then his key personnel guys decided to move on, and Ryan Gunderson uh, to take a coaching job with San Jose State. Guys, this, this is um, quite some shakeup. Um, I don't think it's stuff, Robin, that we're used to. When you look at this program at Nebraska, we haven't really been around – uh, these types of quick coaching moves, uh, especially when you know we covered staffs like Bo Pelini and, and Bill Callahan. Yeah, I mean, there's no question about it. Mike Riley is willing to do the things that the previous two staffs weren't willing to do, and that's fire your friends. If you're, if you're not holding up your end of the bargain and basically becoming dead weight on this staff, not only in terms of X's and O's coaching, uh, but on the recruiting front, uh, you're, you're going to be asked to move on. And, I mean, that's a, this, these, it's not just a you know, real professional relationship that went back i mean these guys are like really good friends mark banker and mike riley and so for riley to make their wives are close yeah, and everything i mean this is this was a big move and i can't imagine how uncomfortable that conversation was when he uh, officially told mark that he wasn't being renewed and um, you know obviously like you mentioned the brian stewart news really wasn't a total surprise especially given dante williams basically being coming uh you know towards the end of the season the idea that nebraska was going to have potentially three defensive backs coach you know like you said writing was on the wall there uh, but definitely Mark Banker I think caught a lot of people by surprise and um, you you got to give Mike Riley a lot of credit here I mean this was not an easy thing in any stretch of the imagination both personally and professionally uh, but it showed that he is willing to do whatever it takes to make this program better uh, no matter how difficult it is. Nate Klaus your thoughts on just what we've seen go through here in the last 24 hours. Well, yeah, I mean, uh, echo a lot of what Robin was saying. We I mean, really, we, we haven't seen this even going back to Solich, or maybe never have seen this type of turnover. In now, the, Solich in, in O two in O two Solich blew out the whole staff yeah. almost. He was basically forced. Them. But yeah, I mean, he was that was a last ditch effort, and I don't and I don't think this is a last ditch effort by by Mike Riley uh, by any means. But but honestly, this that's that was one of the 
um, you know, the negatives, I guess, about Mike Riley when he was initially hired here is that, you know, he's a guy that, that is a loyalist. He, he has a, a group of friends, a core group of guys on his, on his uh, you know, on his coaching staff that he's not willing to change. And things had grown stale in, in Corvallis and everything, and, and in partly because he was unwilling to, to really uh, make any type of changes. And now all of a sudden, you know, half of his core group that he initially brought in here is, is gone uh, within a matter of two years so um, I think you have to tip your hat to Mike Riley there I'm sure Billy Devaney has has definitely played a role in all of this Um, you know but uh, now it just remains to be seen exactly who we're going to replace these guys Uh, I think it's a good move uh, on you know on the surface right now but uh, it will honestly be judged by who comes in to replace these guys you're listening here to the Husker Line show Sean Callahan Robert Washington Nate Klaus discussing the major staff shakeup that's uh, taking place here in Lincoln, and uh, Nate mentioned Billy Devaney, and I, I call him the Big Red General Manager. I mean, this is the former NFL general manager, and there's no doubt in my mind that he is essentially operating as a GM for Mike Riley. He was brought in to be the counterbalance, the bad cop, the guy that would do the things that Mike Riley maybe wasn't comfortable in doing, and uh, firing guys that, I, you know, and that, and that was the talk when he was at Oregon State. The administration basically told Riley he needed to make some staff changes. He had a lifetime contract there, but they wanted him to essentially possibly move on guys like Reed and and, and Banker, and he wouldn't. Um, so I think a Billy Devaney was brought in by Sean Eichhorst uh, to kind of be that counterbalance and be the muscle, you know, the guy that can make and, and, and kind of be the voice in, in these tough decisions. And I thought it was fitting there in Nashville for that convention. And that's where they were for the bowl game, the same hotel, the Opryland Hotel. And it had to be a little eerie walking in there, um, knowing this time around you're going to be firing some of your your, your close you know, a close friend like Mark Banker. Yeah, I'll, I'll kind of follow up with what you were saying, Sean. I mean, every time we've seen Billy Devaney, you know, the coaching staff, it, it's great just, you know, from a morale standpoint. I mean, everybody's friends, they're laughing, joking, whatever. But then you see Billy on the sidelines. He's all business. He doesn't even like you could walk by this guy like just in a straight. It could be you and him in an empty hallway, and and he wouldn't say hi. I mean, yeah. he, he is just a dialed in dude that you just know is all business. He's not here to crack jokes and go have beers after practice. And talk about like, where, where to go to eat and stuff. Yeah, I mean he he is he has a full NFL mentality, and you saw that from the very first day he was hired, and uh, I think that was a great move. Whoever decided to bring him in for that role. Uh, it was a great, you know, move with great foresight because, like you said, you know, this is something that Mike Riley has struggled with, and uh, not just him, but coaches in general struggle with moves like this, as we've seen with the previous two staffs. It's hard to fire your friends, and so when you get the bad cop in here, that's going to come in here and say, "Listen, it's not working out," and then Mike's like, "Well, you know, I, that's what they say, so I got to do what they say." You know, that that makes it a whole lot easier to make tough decisions like this, and so yeah, Billy's, you know, he's. He's a no-nonsense guy, and uh, I think that he's kind of given that counterbalance that this program needs to get better. Well, and, and when you make a tough decision, nine times out of ten, I, I think you kind of you want to be able to to run it by somebody at some point in time to to get feedback before you make that decision. And and when you're running a tough decision by a good friend of yours, I think they're a lot less likely to tell you. Uh, to give you a yes or a no or or to really have a hard line on, on whatever decision you're trying to make. Whereas with Billy Devaney, um, who is a guy that Mike Riley 
Truss, uh, who has a lot of experience, uh, and Mike Riley obviously has, has a ton of trust in this guy. When he runs a decision by uh, Billy Devaney or takes a suggestion on a decision from Billy Devaney, I think that carries an awful lot of weight. And and they're not friends. I think they have just a, a ton of uh, mutual respect for one another as far as uh, being involved in the football business. So, um, I mean, there's yeah, no question that that this has been uh, kind of the the catalyst for a lot of these changes here. And as we wrap it up here, Sean Callahan, Robert Washington, Nate Klaus, as we're discussing uh, the moves made, I I thought even the strategy of how things played out, they knew they had a bowl game, so they couldn't really remove Mark Banker before the bowl game. But they knew that they could get rid of Bruce Reed and still get through the bowl game and then get Dante Williams in here, Nate, um, to have him available for December recruiting. So um, it, it was interesting the strategy employed uh, to remove Bruce Reed to get Dante and then to let Banker go through the bowl game. And, um, you know, and, and they played awful. I mean, the defense in that bowl game literally gave Nebraska no chance to win. And, and I'm sure that was kind of the final nail in the coffin. Yeah, I had to do something with it, I'm sure. Um, but, I mean, Riley is playing chess, not not checkers here. You know, with the move that he made with Dante Williams, knowing that he'd be able to bring in a dynamic recruiter that would give him um, an opportunity to, to get back in with a handful of blue-chip recruits before, you know, the dead period. Because the dead period is about the longest month of, of the season when you're unable to, to really, um, you know, have full access to all these recruits. So, I mean, they had to have – whatever momentum they could gain before the the beginning of that dead period as they could. So, um, you know, I mean, it's just, uh, it's pretty fascinating. And we're going to see, I think, here pretty quick how things shake out because this is, uh, like I said, this is um, Mike Riley playing chess. I think he's, you know, probably a couple moves ahead of everyone here. And and I think this is all going to come to an end here uh, shortly. All right, when we come back, we're going to discuss that. We're going to talk about where does Nebraska go next? Do they go the NFL route, the college route? Uh, we'll talk about all those things as they try to get this defensive coordinator uh, hired in what is really one of the key recruiting points here of the year. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. I, I, I don't care whether it was Purdue or Hobo U or whoever it was. I mean, it happened and it wasn't good. I mean, that should be something that they carry with them all season for the, the, the whole season in every game. And uh, it's totally unacceptable. You know, we've got this opportunity against Purdue this week, and uh, we need to take advantage of that opportunity. It's the only one we'll have. That was Nebraska defensive coordinator, former defensive coordinator, Mark Banker, earlier this year discussing their 55-45 loss at Purdue in 2015, which was considered one of the more uh, embarrassing losses in Husker football history, um, considering uh, where Purdue's program was at at that time. And uh, we're going to discuss now more about this defensive coordinator move at Nebraska. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett, Nate Klaus here on the Husker Online Show. This segment brought to you by Tanner's Sports Bar and Grill, five locations in Omaha, two in Lincoln. NFL playoffs on both Saturday and Sunday, doubleheaders. Uh, so make sure you get into any one of those Tanner's locations uh, to catch all the NFL action. Husker basketball also plays at Michigan on the road Saturday. So lots of good action to get yourself in and uh, enjoy some wings and cold beer and, and and watch some of the football and the basketball. But guys, um, as we look at where Nebraska goes next, this is going to be fascinating because I really don't think um, there's going to be much kind of intel or things leaked out. Um, if we've learned anything about Mike Riley and Billy Devaney, 
They keep a very tight circle. They don't talk to very many people off the record on the side. Um, this is going to be kind of one of those hires that just drops in on everybody. And, and uh, we're all going to be, I believe, scrambling to kind of learn more about who this guy is. But um, what route will they go? I mean, you, you hear NFL because um, of Devaney's background. I mean, who is really making this hire? Will Devaney recommend names and then Riley make the decision? I think there's a lot of things, Robin, uh, that will be interesting because Mike Riley has never truly really hired a coordinator in a number of years. Yeah, well, and I guess uh, not only Billy Devaney, but Mike Riley has uh, some pretty deep uh, ties, both in the collegiate ranks and NFL ranks. I mean, the, the possibilities here are endless. I mean, you can also, I mean, do, do you want to get somebody that's, you know, got ties to the program, a uh, John Perella type that, uh, you know, knows all about the the what did, the black shirt tradition and all that. As uh, I, can't, I don't know if there's a qualified coordinator guy out there, though. I mean, probably who? not. But I'm just saying, like, to, the, something that, uh, you know, there's a familiarity there um, that kind of, you know, you know how to, what it takes to win at Nebraska type thing. But, I, I don't see that. I really, I think it's going to be a complete the shift of philosophy. That's just my prediction right now. Well, probably right. So then you got to look at maybe, uh, you know, an NFL type. I mean, I think that the timing of this, you know, with the way that it lined up with the playoffs, you know, maybe they uh, are already got the ball rolling on something. I know that's kind of one of the theories out there that, um, you know, they're, you, you basically, everything is calculated here. And the fact that, you know, they waited this long um, after the bowl game to, to make this magnitude of a decision, uh, I think maybe kind of speaks to, you know, where they are in the process of hiring a replacement. Well, the two things we know for sure are that whoever is hired is going to be considered to be an expert coach uh, in the in the eyes of Mike Riley and, and probably in the eyes of Billy Devaney and a guy that has um, been a successful recruiter or has ties to an area, a recruiting area that they definitely want to try and exploit. So um, with that being said, I think, you know, like, like Robin said, it's a huge pool of, of guys that, that could potentially fall into that realm. Um, I, you know, I do think from what I've heard, it's um, at least one of these hires is, is more than likely going to come from the NFL uh, with somebody who has had collegiate experience and has recruited in the past, uh, but has also, um, you know, as an expert X's and O's guy that has been coaching at the highest level that you can coach at uh, for, for quite, a, quite some time. So we'll see uh, what happens there. But I, yeah, I don't think it's any coincidence that this all came down, you know, basically right after uh, the majority of the, the NFL season has, has come to an end here. Yeah, this is not a deal where they're just taking resumes now and say, all right, let's look at a yeah. number of resumes. They, they have a really good idea. And uh, you're listening to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washington, A. Klaus, as uh, we, we kind of look at what's next. And, you know, let, let's talk about money. I mean, Nebraska paid Mark Banker, I believe, was a five sixty dollars or $580,000, just under six hundred, which for Nebraska standards was very high for coordinator pay. He was the highest paid assistant. Um, now, Tim Beck made more than that when he was here as Bo Pelini's OC. Um, but with the new Big Ten money coming into play, I think it's going to be, what, 15, 16 million more a year starting next year, and then it grows each year. Um, you have to think Nebraska will be pulling out the checkbook here for this hire. Um, I would not be surprised at all if the pay for the next defensive coordinator is somewhere between eight hundred thousand and a million dollars. Yeah, I mean that's what you have to do, though. I mean, if you want to compete with the big dogs of college athletics, the the Alabamas, the Clemsons, and whatnot, you have to find ways to to expend your coaching budget because otherwise you're going to end up with you know that next tier down of coaches. Now Wisconsin you... will argue with you on that because they they don't. Pay 
pay that kind of money, and, and they've the, had, and they're about to lose their second defensive coordinator in two years. Oh, there are, where's he going to go now? <laughs> He's getting looked at for another job. I can't remember for which the Cal one. job. Yeah, for the Cal head coaching job. So yeah, they, but you know Barry Alvarez, whatever he's done there, it works. But that's kind of the exception to the rule. Yeah, Wisconsin's kind of their own animal. Barry Alvarez has got—he's still the head coach. He's, yeah, he's got that thing down to a science. But anyway, I mean, t- if Nebraska wants to consider itself one of the elite programs, you got to open up the checkbook and pay like it. Get the top-notch player or coaches uh, to to run this thing because you know what comes with great coaches is you're going to not only have the results on the field, but you're going to make a big impression right away on the recruiting front, and then you get the Jimmys and the Joes and it all starts coming together. Well, and I think that's part of the reason why you never saw Mike Riley make too many changes in the past is really how much money did Oregon State have to pay you know, assistant coaches and how many assistant coaches really want to go to Corvallis. Um, you know, I think Lincoln and, and a program like Nebraska is much more appealing. They obviously have a lot more money uh, to open up and pay these guys. And um, and I definitely think you, you that's what you have to do. You have to you have to come in and you've you got to come correct now that you've made a change. Uh, I mean, you, you can't kind of make a lackluster hire here. Uh, I think you've got to open up the, the checkbook and and try to bring somebody in who is going to be able able to hit the the ground running here with recruiting uh, and really get their feet underneath them, especially heading into that 2018 season. Uh, I don't think you want to make a change at D coordinator after next year, right before you have a juggernaut of a season. At Michigan, at Ohio State. At Wisconsin, at Iowa. Exactly. I mean, you, so you, I think that's another part of this move is you wanted to get a guy in, get him comfortable, get um, you know the the personnel that fits in his system or whatever it's going to be ready to go for that 2018 season. All right, so here's here's a note going back to salaries. Mark Banker's exact salary was five hundred eighty thousand dollars, six hundred sixty three dollars. So five eighty six sixty three. The average uh, salary of defensive coordinators of the four college football playoff teams. Nine hundred forty-six thousand dollars four eighty four thirty-eight. So nine hundred forty-six four thirty-eight. So you're talking about doubling the salary of your defensive coordinator if you want to compete with the four teams that were playing for a national championship. And Nate, I don't know why this is, but Nebraska has always kind of taken this not charity approach, but like we don't need to pay good money. We could find good coaches without paying big dollars. Um, it, it's kind of an approach that Tom Osborne had when he was the uh, AD here um, for his stint. And it's really been kind of Nebraska's approach throughout history. But you just get the sense that that's going to change now. I mean, I, I think the the money from the Big Ten and the pressure on Eichhorst um, to get this thing going, um, they're going to go all in. And it started a year ago with this Billy Devaney hire. And I, I think that was the first step to some of these bigger coordinator hires, like what's going to be going on right now. Well, no, there's no doubt about that. I mean, I think they're paying Billy Devaney over $300,000 um, to be – you know, I mean, still kind of a, a, you know, somewhat of a mystery as to what his his daily job is or, or whatever. But he's obviously Mike Riley's right hand man. And then you you know you you pay uh, Keith Williams. You know, he's one of the highest paid wide receiver coaches in the country. Dante Williams now on the staff is is one of the highest paid cornerback coaches in the entire country. Brian Stewart was definitely high paid for his position yes. at the time. I mean, so yeah, you look down the board. I mean, it's. It's a different level of what they're doing. Yeah, they're not messing around uh, right now, and and I think it's it's shown that they're definitely willing to um, to throw some money around and try to get try to get things rolling here because uh, there's no question everyone's kind of on the clock here. I think the the pressure is to win uh, both on the field and in recruiting and to do it now. 
All right, well, when we come back, we're going to shift over to basketball, but I promise we're going to keep talking about what's going on. We have our mailbag segment, so lots of questions to get to in that. And then we'll close out with Nate Klaus like we always do on kind of what's going on in recruiting. There's a ton that's happened uh, since Saturday in that Army All-American Bowl. I mean, almost so much to the fact that we probably won't even talk about the Army All-American Bowl. So uh, when we come back, though, we're going to talk a little basketball as the Huskers go to Michigan on Saturday, 3-1 and in Big Ten play, hoping to get up to 4-1. and uh, We'll get Robin's thoughts on that next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. You know, we jumped on them each of the first five minutes and it, they didn't flinch. And we weren't able to capitalize on playing well to get enough stops. And so, I, I, you know, we blew defensive assignments. They made threes, which was like the number two key. Then we kind of, uh, we just kind of morphed into this team that was forcing the ball at the rim and just that ugly basketball. Uh, and uh, you have to credit, I think, their defensive edge and intensity to create that. That was Nebraska head coach Tim Miles following their loss to Northwestern on Sunday, and Nebraska had the opportunity to go to 4-0 in Big Ten Conference play. It would have been really the first time at 4-0 in modern-day basketball history. I mean, it's happened before, but it hasn't happened in many, many, many years. So, uh, big opportunity, but Northwestern, you got to credit them. They played great basketball. They hit shots. When Nebraska took a lead, they hit five of five threes to, to kind of take control of the game after Nebraska made their run, and now Nebraska goes to Michigan on Saturday. It is a 1 p.m. game. Uh, they had the week off here to get ready for this game. And, and, and over that week, Robin Washett, uh, Coach Miles announced that Ed Morrow is out indefinitely with a foot injury. Major blow to this team that really could not suffer an injury in the post. Yeah, major blow in a lot of different ways. Obviously, first and foremost, the, there was already a lack of post depth. And uh, now just from a, a numbers standpoint, uh, it's going to be difficult uh, to, to have enough bodies down there to, to have that same you know rotation they were working with uh, through the first 16 games. But even more so, what Ed was bringing, uh, both in terms of his rebounding, his defense, and maybe what's getting overlooked here is his offense. Uh, I don't know if there's a guy on the roster right now that is going to be able to single-handedly fill those shoes. I mean, Ed was averaging 10 points, 8 rebounds, and 1.5 and blocks per game. Uh, I mean, those are numbers that are, are as good as anybody could have hoped for, especially coming off uh, a frustrating year uh, as a freshman last season. So, um, I mean, it's really disappointing, really frustrating. Um, you know, on his, Tim Miles' radio show earlier this week, he kind of expanded a little bit um, on, you know, what the situation is. And uh, he had an MRI earlier this week um, to kind of evaluate the extent of the injury. Um, no surgery is going to be needed, but what's concerning is that it's on the very same foot uh, that made him miss four games last year. Uh, it's in a different spot on the foot, so it's not the exact same injury, but same foot giving him problems again. And um, you got to wonder, you know, with this time around, I think that they probably thought that they rushed him back a little bit last year, so they might be uh, even, even more careful this time around. So that may mean that, you know, you're looking at probably more than four games uh, if it's a similar injury. Um, so certainly, you know, they, they got to find a plan here uh, to make up for, for his absence going forward. And uh, it's not going to be easy um, immediately. I mean, just as far as, you know, who can step in and fill those shoes. Uh, obviously, the, the obvious guys are Michael Jacobson's going to have to have a bigger role, Jordy Shimonga. I um, mean, but I also think, you know, you're going to have other guys like Jack McVeigh is going to have to play more minutes um, despite his struggles. You know, Nick Fuller, 
I think is going to have an increased role just just from a numbers standpoint. He has to. Um, and Jariah Horn and all the freshmen, you know, Isaiah Roby, I think are ever, this is going to be a chain reaction of other guys are going to have to step up. And here's why. For that Michigan game, they're going to have nine available scholarship players to work with. Uh, and you get 13, right? Yeah, you get 13. And that's including, I mean, they obviously have James Palmer who's sitting out right now. And then with Ed being out and Anton being out, uh, the, the, they're getting a pretty depleted here in a hurry. So uh, not ideal by any stretch of the imagination, um, especially with just how well Ed was playing before that injury. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan, Robin Washett talking Husker hoops at Michigan. And, you know, Robin, uh, it's easy to almost get a little greedy. When Nebraska got to 3-0 and and, and they're playing Northwestern, you just think about who Northwestern has been traditionally, a team that's never made the NCAA tournament. You're like, we got 4-0 in the back. Um, but I think the basketball god showed on Sunday, 4-0 is just not handed to you in the Big Ten. And um, still, I, I think when you look at this start, it, it's incredible. I mean, nobody ever, ever could have saw this team being 3-1 and one over these first four games. And I think you have to kind of erase Sunday and still look at the big picture. Yeah, I mean, the Big Ten is just such a weird beast right now. Uh, I mean, it's just a total toss-up uh, within the standings. I mean, you got... Uh, you know, good teams losing to you know supposedly bad teams, and then you know, then going and beating uh, another top-ranked team. I mean, it's just you know basically by the night you're going to have a different result. So uh, for for Nebraska fans to get discouraged about you know finally losing a Big Ten game four games into the conference schedule, I think is a bit premature. Um, I think that we this team has shown they're more than capable of competing in this conference and competing with some of the better teams in the league. So um, obviously having setbacks like losing. An Ed Morrow is going to be difficult and then um, but I, I think there were other circumstances involved in that kind of letdown performance on Sunday clearly they've had one of the most emotionally draining physically draining wins we've seen in a long time in that double overtime win against Iowa a week ago and then you know 48 hours later to come back and do it again against a Northwestern team that literally makes you earn everything you get on both ends of the floor uh, that was that was a tall task, and so, uh, like you said, it's kind of one of those games you just kind of, kind of, you know, put it behind you, move on. And the good news is they've had a full week here to kind of get their legs back under them, kind of regroup, take a step back from what has been a pretty wild start to the to league play, and kind of turn their focus to Michigan, who, by the way, just had a pretty uh, <laughs> uh, rough night uh, on Wednesday night and a loss to Illinois. So uh, I think that there's certainly a, a but promising potential here for Nebraska to get back on track. Yeah, that, that Thursday game, when you do get it, is tough to come back and play Sunday. I mean, the way the Big Ten scheduling works, Robin, there's a big Super Tuesday game, right? That's kind of the marquee big Monday game for the Big Ten. Mm-hmm. And then everybody else will play either Wednesday or Thursday, correct? Yes. And then um, if you play Wednesday, you usually play Saturday. If you play Thursday, you definitely play Sunday. Is that kind of how the, the yeah. alignment works? And so, you know teams are kind of preferred for the prime windows and so nebraska will probably if you look at the schedule they got a whole lot of thursday night eight o'clock tips and a lot of sunday afternoon evening tips i'll tell you what the eight o'clock thursday game when i was in college would have been great yeah yeah you know it's it's fun but you know then you got people that uh you know can't stay for the whole game because it's so late on a weeknight yeah it is i mean that iowa game went well past 10 30 that was crazy i've you know i I, we were talking about this earlier about where just from a, a entertainment standpoint that ranked as far as home games in Pinnacle Bank Arena. And personally, I put it third behind number one, No Sit Sunday, 
at number two, the uh, opener of the NBA against Florida Gulf Coast. I mean, uh, but I could easily be persuaded to put that one over the Florida Gulf Coast game just because the swings back and forth of emotion and just the way that game played out, it was unbelievable. Nebraska went from, you know, having a chance to win it with one second left at the free throw line to being down four with 30 seconds left to tying it up on the last second shot. Uh, It was one of the most fun basketball games that I've been a part of covering this beat so uh, I'm sure a lot of fans felt that way and uh, you know it was definitely a nice nice tip off to you know what was a great start for Nebraska in conference play another one I'll put up there was two years ago when they beat Michigan State it was a Saturday uh, afternoon game and they pulled out and Michigan State started fouling member real late in that game mm-hmm. and that, that was kind of another one I'd put up there but you're right I mean I think Wisconsin's your gold standard game in that building, and this has to be that Iowa win right behind there. But Nebraska-Michigan, they will play Saturday um, in Ann Arbor. It is a 1 p.m. game. Big Ten Network, Robin? Uh, yes, I think so. Big Ten, uh, Big Ten Network game. So uh, Huskers will try to get to four and one. Michigan, a, a team that's not having a great start to conference play, so kind of a must-win home game for them. And then the Huskers will be back at home on Wednesday night. Another eight o'clock special. Um, they'll play <laughs> Ohio State uh, before going out to Rutgers uh, for a game on Saturday. So um, make sure you check out Robin's work. But when we come back. Uh, we are going to shift over to the mailbag. We will take your questions on recruiting and the staff shakeup. That's all next here. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. This is Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. And welcome back here to the Husker Online Show. Sean Callahan now joined uh, by Husker Online intern Matt Reynoldson as we take your questions this week in the mailbag. Robin Washington and A. Klaus also joining us here and there's a lot of questions. I mean, I think when Matt made this post on the board uh, to take your weekly questions, we had not yet learned about the firing of Mark Banker um, and, and all that came through. So lots of late questions this week to the mailbag, Matt. Yep, and a lot of them are, are about the coaching staff. So starting it off, is there any scenario where you would have envisioned this staff having four new faces to start spring ball? Um, I guess we're just so used to the status quo here at Nebraska. I would say no. I mean, we went – with Bo Pelini here for seven years and, and there really weren't any defensive changes other than, you know, Marvin Sanders's personal situation, whatever you want to call it and then left for that job. And then Carl Pelini left for a head job. But um, you know, there wasn't shakeup like this. There wasn't just, you know, outright moves, you know, Bill Callahan never fired Kevin Cosgrove. So yeah, I think it is a surprise because it's a culture Robin that is Husker people that cover the team or around it. We just haven't seen it happen here very often. Yeah. The last time there were four new assistant coaches to start a season, Frank Solich was trying to save his job <laughs> going into his last year. So, I mean, this is uncharted territory and, you know, I don't think anyone would have expected it. I'm sure a lot of people would have expected some uh, turnover, especially maybe at a certain special teams coordinator position, but uh, to say there's going to be four new coaches on this staff from the end of the regular season to the start of spring ball, I don't think anybody would have guessed that. Yeah, I feel like you could always make a case for one or two changes per year. You know, maybe a guy moving up from a position, uh, coaching, you know, coaching a position to possibly getting a, a coordinator job or um, or whatever. And there seems like there's always been a revolving door at that defensive backs coach position. But yeah, four new faces, no way. 
All right, next question here from Matt Reynolds in the mailbag. A lot of people reading the tea leaves here and kind of realizing that there might be a short list for this new hire. And so uh, how would you characterize uh, what they're looking for with this new hire? Are they looking for kind of a splash or a big name or an up-and-comer or a big-time recruiter or something like that? I don't think that you make a move like this if you don't already have what's going to happen next in play. And I really believe uh, that they have all the pieces in play right now uh, because you don't fire a guy the night before recruiting starts back up if you don't have a game plan in place, especially with the questions, Nate, that they're going to be asked by by recruits. Yeah, you, you have to have um, you have to be able to to give some recruits some answers there, and and with the timing, like you said, you know, on on Wednesday night, right before the dead period ends, um, there's there's no doubt in my mind that there are a couple guys there where it's just a kind of a formality. I think it's you know logistically has to come together in terms of, I don't know, paperwork or contracts or whatever. But uh, there's no question in my mind with the NFL season being over and with the coaches' convention that just finished on Wednesday, that Mike Riley had his guys, and that's why he announced what he announced when he announced it. Yeah, and they have the money to do it. And like we mentioned in you know the, the previous segment here, uh, to compete with the best of the best in college football – you got to open the checkbook, and so you know, Sean. You said anywhere between eight hundred thousand to a million. I would expect that type of hire to happen to to fill Mark Baker's shoes. Switching gears a little bit to the hot news in recruiting this week, one name kind of dominated the forums this week, and that was receiver Tajon Lindsay. So, uh, what can you tell us about Tajon right now? Well, right now uh, he's going to be having an in-home visit with Nebraska uh, on Friday, and there's, uh, you know, I think Nebraska is going to be sending some heavy hitters in right away. Uh, but he he loves Nebraska. Um, you know, the Huskers were a close second when he when he picked Ohio State out of the gate. Any, anyhow, so and and Keith Williams has done a great job of continuing to recruit him, and I think that's one thing that really separates Keith from a lot of other coaches. Is that you know when a, when a coach when a kid commits to another school. A lot of times coaches completely move on and cut ties with that kid almost. Well, not, not Keith Williams. He he has continued to recruit Tajon, um, and that could really be paying off here in a very big way. I, I suspect that Tajon commits to Nebraska, um, and, I, and I think it could very well happen sooner than later. You're listening to the Husker Online Show as we take your questions in the mailbag. And sticking on recruiting, Matt, we did have one basketball recruiting question for Robin uh, on, on the latest addition here to the Husker roster. Absolutely. And that latest edition, former five-star transfer from Georgetown, Isaac Copeland. And a lot of people are, are thinking he might be in the rotation with guys like Ed Morrow and Michael Jacobson at the four and five spot. But he played a lot of uh, small forward at Georgetown. So what do you think his role will be on this team? I would probably liken it a little bit to what they're trying to do with Isaiah Roby. I mean, there's similar types of just body types. Uh, and what what Isaac really brings his versatility on the offensive end. He's not a guy that's going to, you know, be an Ed Morrow banger in the low post. Uh, so that that's not really his game. So I really wouldn't. I mean, his frame, you know, makes him one of the taller players on the team, but that's not his his game. Uh, what he's going to be is a guy that can, you know, go inside and out offensively. And with the way that uh, Tim Miles likes to run, kind of that that motion offense, I think that they have areas on the floor in which they think he's really going to thrive. And that was one of the pitches Tim Miles made in his recruiting. Or during his official visit, you know, he basically had cut up game film of his Georgetown days and said, this is how you're being used incorrectly. And then had examples of this is how I'm going to use you correctly in our offense. And that was a big selling point for him. So they definitely have a plan for him, uh, but it's not going to be as some, you know, back to the basket, low post guy. All right, we move back into the mailbag here. 
This is one of the more interesting questions we've ever received in the mailbag, at least as far as I've been here. Uh, it's it's this. Rank these three in order of importance. Number one, finishing recruiting ranked in the 15 to 20 range. Number two, player development this spring. Or number three, spring and fall QB play. I mean, that's like a two-hour special on HBO <laughs> right there. I, I don't know if we can get to that in a mailbag answer. but um, Just rapid fire. Let's all uh, take our guess on that. I mean, I don't know if one is more important. They're all, I mean, it, it's all equally important. I think they have to close out with some star power and momentum and recruiting. And I think the the new staff in on defense is going to have to transition and, and get it figured out quick uh, because there's a lot of pressure to win here. And if 2017 doesn't go well, uh, 2018 is the season that would get a coach fired. I mean, you look at the schedule and everybody knows at Michigan, at Ohio State, at Wisconsin, at Iowa, when you see that schedule, and at Northwestern. Five of the toughest road games we've ever seen on one schedule for Nebraska uh, ever uh, since I've been covering the team. So um, it's all really uh, equal, in my opinion. Yeah, if I were to pick one, you know, just off the top of my head, I'd go quarterback play just because, uh, you know, the last two years we've wondered what this coaching staff could do with a quarterback that fit their system. They apparently have one and are maybe two uh, that are coming in. And so it's going to be a completely different look at that position. And I think that this team is only going to go as far as whether it's Tanner Lee or Patrick O'Brien uh, are able to take them. And for me, being the recruiting guy, I say you have to close out recruiting well on a high note and somehow end up in that 15 to 20, 20 range, uh, if not higher, if you could possibly do it. But um, you know, there's looking at that 2018 schedule, you have to get some difference makers in here immediately. And, and show some promise. And show some promise. Um, you know, and, and then develop your younger guys in, in your quarterback situation here going forward. But first things first, recruiting. All right, you got one. We got time, Matt Reynoldson, for one more question in the mailbag. Okay, this is kind of a personal question. So, um, one of the funnier things this week was a, a thread post on our forums about uh, about Robin's bench press. And so, are there any inside jokes that you you may have with the Husker Online readers? Any of you uh, that that's a personal favorite? Uh, no comment. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can think of a couple, but uh, yeah, this is. A really kind of one of the more uncomfortable things. It's not as bad as the last one that was about me. Uh, so, you know, I, de I declined to give exact numbers uh, just because I've seen what happens to people when they make claims of feats of strength on the message board, and I'm not going to get myself into that. I've been around the block long enough to, to not even go there. Yeah, I, I am not. The last thing I'm doing on RSS, unfortunately, to everyone who's who's on there, is throwing out my, my bench press numbers or my vertical jump numbers. The, the running joke is, RSS, there's a, a lot of guys that can bench 300 pounds, a lot of millionaires. Oh, at least 300. And, and then you're the only one that could dunk on 10 feet, right? I can never dunk. I can <laughs> touch the rib. But I, I've never even, like, as far as bench, I mean, I don't even, like, I'm sure Robin's in the same boat. It's like, why would you even max out at our age? Like, what's the point? You're just going to get hurt. <laughs> I mean, I just lift to lift to have, you know, stay in, in condition. But uh, as far as putting real weight on the bar at 36 years old, it ain't happening. Uh. Nope. All right. Well, that is a really awkward way to end the mailbag. <laughs> <laughs> but when we come back, uh, we will close the show with some recruiting, as there are a lot of topics for Nate Klaus to address uh, with the staff change and obviously the news of Ty John Lindsay and Jameer Calvin. That is all next. You're listening to the Husker Online Show. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, your authority on Nebraska athletics. Well, final segment here of the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus, as we talk some recruiting. And 
a lot has happened, Nate, um, here in, in, in the world of recruiting for Nebraska um, with the U.S. Army All-American Bowl. But let's get uh, to the coordinator shakeup with Mark Banker's dismissal. Number one, what impact, if any, will this have on any recruits with Mark Banker's dismissal? Well, typically when you have you know some coaching changes like this, I, I think especially right before the end of the dead period, um, you know, heading into the that final three weeks, I, I think you would typically say that this has a you know is going to have some sort of impact and maybe even a huge impact. But the interesting thing about the changes is that Mark Banker was responsible for absolutely zero commits in this recruiting class. Um, didn't really have you know wasn't the lead recruiter on anyone super important um, on Nebraska's board right now, maybe outside of Isaac uh, Slade, Matautia, the linebacker out of Honolulu, Hawaii. Um, and then same with Brian Stewart. You know, he he was not, he has not been really the, the lead recruiter on anyone except for Cameron Curl, the defensive back out of Oklahoma uh, City. And, and Mike Riley has told Cameron Curl that Dante Williams is going to be continuing to become more and more of a, of a, you know, a coach that that was going to be involved in his recruitment going forward. So, you know, when you look at those guys, how they were not responsible for any commits and not necessarily um, on too many, you know, the lead recruiter on too many guys, I don't think this is going to have a huge impact um, as far as kids maybe wavering now that the decisions have been made. You're listening to the Husker Online Show, Sean Callahan, Nate Klaus, uh, as we discuss recruiting. And, and you start to look ahead. The coaches hit living rooms Thursday. Um, they'll have visitors in town this weekend. How much do you think these recruits will know about kind of what's next before we do? Well, generally, that's exactly what happens. I, I think when you're going into um, a living room and, and sitting in front of a, of a prospect and his family and, and maybe even his coaching staff, you know, everyone who's uh, influencers in the def- in the decision or, or the, the actual decision makers themselves, I, I think that um, you have to be pretty transparent. You have to tell them exactly what's going on. You have to do whatever you can to put their mind at ease that everything's going to be all right, first of all. And second of all, you have to let them know that, hey – not only is it going to be all right, but you're really going to like this. Like these are these are positive changes. This is this is for the best for for us and for you. And this is why and really lay it out there. So, um, you know, in a lot of cases, it's the recruits that know first before anybody else. You know exactly who's who the hire is going to be, or at least what the background is going to be, um, and what this what the potential coaches are, are bringing to the table here. Yeah, and, and as you start to look ahead, Nate, let's first get to Jameer Calvin. I mean, this was. Uh, U.S. Army All-American Bowl was, was a low point. I mean, it was just kind of one of those weekends that you know you just didn't even want to watch anymore because it, it just went about as bad as it went for Nebraska. They had four guys in play. Realistically, they could have got two, maybe one for sure, and that one was Jameer Calvin. Mm-hmm. He picks Oregon State in a stunner on national television. But now, as of Thursday, um, he's no longer really a commit to Oregon State. He pulled down all the tweets about Oregon State. He took down all the information on his Twitter bio. Uh, we know there's been some correspondence with him and Keith Williams even after the announcement. How realistic is it that Jameer Calvin still ends up at Nebraska? 
Well, I think at this point in time, it's pretty realistic that this could happen. I think, you know, there was just that same night after the game, there was communication between Nebraska and Jameer Calvin, and, and Calvin more or less said, hey, I, I think I've made a mistake, um, you know, and, and will you still recruit me type of deal. And and Nebraska is willing to do that. I, I think the first thing that needs to happen is for the Huskers to, to go in home with him and, and really sit down with him and his family and figure out, hey, what the heck happened here? Because uh, he was a silent commitment to Nebraska. They were fully expecting him to announce on national television, live national television, that he was going to be playing at Nebraska. And so when that didn't happen, I think, uh, like you said, everybody was completely at shock. And and I know that, uh, that Oregon State was extremely surprised, too. They they weren't expecting – Well, they just lost the receivers coach. Yeah, they just lost the receivers coach. They just hired a new receivers coach and a new offensive coordinator two days before Jameer Calvin – um, you know, picked up their hat on national television. So, I mean, there was no opportunity for Jameer Calvin to have any type of, you know, relationship or, or to really get to know those guys before he picked the Beavers. So, um, I mean, honestly, one of the stranger things I've ever seen while I've been covering, you know, either covering recruiting or involved with it um, at Nebraska. But but this is far from over. I, I think that uh, Nebraska is going to continue to pursue Jameer Calvin and, and he could still very well end up in this class. Now, a couple other guys uh ty john lindsey nate um he uh decommits publicly from ohio state on twitter uh nebraska was the known runner-up in his recruitment uh, when things played out um and you know a lot of speculation that uh even rivals.com's mike farrell and his predictions uh, i think he gave his 11 best available players out there he predicts ty john lindsey to nebraska um how realistic does that happen and and are they in his living room with all their horses right away this week yeah, I think it's very realistic that this happens, and and I think I I see it happening sooner than later. I don't think Tyjon Lindsay is going to be one to to carry, you know, kind of string this thing out. I know he he has he's is obviously getting a lot of attention from a lot of other schools trying to trying to get him to take visits because he has all of his visits still to take. Um, and, but but you're right, he, Nebraska was the runner up there when he announced his decision between the Buckeyes and the Huskers, um, and really he liked everything about. Nebraska. Nebraska is just uh, at that t- point in time, he felt just a little bit better about Ohio State. And, and as time wore on, um, you know, that the luster of that commitment, I think, kind of wore off a little bit. And uh, and there's a lot to this story. This is very deep, long story. They didn't drop him. Let's get that out yeah, there. Yeah, and they did not drop him. He's Ohio the freaking 41st player in the Rivals one. You don't drop a guy like yeah, this. Yeah, you don't drop a kid who's just one step below being a five-star prospect. Um, and, and they're expected to be in his home Thursday. But from what I'm told – is he will not allow Ohio State's coaches to be in his home on Thursday, and he's expecting to host Nebraska's coaches, um, quite a few of them, uh, in his home on Friday. So, uh, I, I mean, I, I don't know exactly when a decision is going to come, but I could conceivably see one coming here. Um, you know, maybe even before the the weekend, or or maybe right after the weekend happens. Yeah, that is uh, really, really interesting. I think uh, Zach Smith won the battle, but Keith Williams may end up winning the war in this yeah. thing as uh, the two of those guys have squared off um, subtweeting about things over the last year, and Tyjon Lindsay was kind of the middle of it all. And um, if he indeed gets him, that will be one of the really bigger flips we've seen in, in, in recent history. You're listening here to the Husker online show, Sean Callahan and Nate Klaus. Now, it is going to be a visit weekend, Nate. 
um, what, four to five official visitors in. Uh, will the coaches, though, still be in living rooms Friday night and come in kind of Saturday morning? Uh, how will they kind of play this weekend knowing there's a lot of valuable living room time on Thursday and Friday they can use uh, before getting back into Lincoln? Yeah, I foresee the coaches being in living rooms Friday night, getting back into Lincoln really late Friday night, and if they can, have the, the recruits show up about the same time on, on Friday. Have them, have them show up late Friday night, um, be in town all day Saturday, and then have them leave, uh, later on uh, Sunday afternoon or Sunday night. Uh, that way they can try to maximize their 48-hour window with these guys. Um, as of now, four guys that are coming in, I could see that list climb to five or six maybe but um, you know the the good thing I, th- I guess for Nebraska is that a lot of these players um, like I mentioned earlier they weren't being recruited by anyone who's no longer on the staff so um, I mean obviously there's going to be questions about the the coordinator position from the defensive players that are going to be in town but uh, you know a guy like uh, Kurt Raftall the, the tight end out of Indiana uh, Jeremiah Hawkins the wide receiver out of California uh, and Chris Walker offensive lineman out of Lincoln East I mean those guys really, you know, don't don't have a whole lot to to be worrying about. I don't think in terms of the coaching changes that, that have recently happened. So, um, and and I like Nebraska's chances with all those guys. To be perfectly honest with you, but maybe the most important kid that's going to be in town this weekend is Guy Thomas, the four-star defensive end out of Booker T. Washington in Miami, Florida. Committed to Nebraska, sight unseen, has taken some of their visits. Uh, so this weekend will be his first time ever in Lincoln. Um, and it is highly important that Nebraska keeps him in their recruiting class because not only is he a great talent as far as, as being a, a you know a four-star uh, pass rusher uh, that Nebraska really doesn't have on, on the roster right now, or not too many, uh, proven guys at least, uh, but you know they don't have too many other defensive end targets out there that are available to flip. So, um, so it very important recruiting weekend this this weekend. Yeah, give me kind of just realistically, give me kind of a roadmap of possible commits here. Tyjon Lindsey, Chris Walker, Damian Daniels uh, are three. Damian Daniels being a defensive tackle mm-hmm. um, that you know looks to be coming in here. Uh, we would think soon. Um, who would be your other kind of two or three names besides those three? Well, I could see Jameer Calvin possibly making that that flip um, back to Nebraska. Uh, maybe a sneaky name to keep an eye out for is uh, or a couple of sneaky names here. I, m- I mentioned Kurt Raftall, the tight end from Indiana. Uh, you know, he was I think Nebraska kind of came in number two behind Indiana originally, um, it, but he decided to stay close to home. And then after their coaching change, he decided to to open things back up. So. I wouldn't be surprised if he jumped in on, in the boat. Um, and then Jaquan Henderson, the the outside linebacker from Georgia that's committed to Tennessee. Um, you know, his decommitment from Tennessee has been coming for a long time now. And, and I would not be surprised if Trent Bray, you know, if he's one of the first guys that Trent Bray is seeing, um, you know, once the dead period ends and, and he's in home with these guys. So I could see that happening sooner than later as well. Well, it's going to be 17 days of madness that starts here on Thursday with coaches out on the road. Um, lots to look at, lots to discuss. We will have complete coverage of everything on Husker Online, so make sure you are online following Nate Klaus, Mike Mattia, Brian Muntz, and myself, Robin Washett, as there will be a lot of news and scoop here over the next uh, few days. Well, that wraps it up here for another edition of the Husker Online Show. Thanks again for joining us this week on Husker Online, your authority on Nebraska athletics. 